you'd open up your Bibles to John chapter 18. Now, I want to actually ask you to do something because I think it's so important with regard to this particular passage of Scripture. Because we are very often tempted in these passages that are generally associated with Easter. This is all part of what would be in a traditional passion play. Uh, If you've seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson, it's certainly in that movie. Uh, There are all kinds of things that you can associate with these particular verses. And very often it comes across as, uh, we we just hate Pilate. We absolutely loathe the the Jewish religious leadership because of what they're doing to Messiah, to the King of Kings, to Jesus. We, We can't stand the crowd when we hear them chant, crucify him, crucify him. We don't want this man ruling over us. It's really easy to disassociate yourself and say, well, those people are really messed up. Can I tell you, you're in the crowd. You're you're Pilate. You're the Jewish religious leadership because no matter how you're lost and no matter why you're lost, without Christ, you're lost. And so Jesus came that we might be found. We we sang about that. It's amazing how many times I, I get these questions. You know, people say, well, how come we sing reckless love? Because God's not reckless. Look in your Oxford Dictionary. It means to be without regard for oneself. If that's not reckless love, I don't know what it is. It is reckless love because God sent Jesus to this world without regard for Jesus' life. The result of that is an innocent man is going to be tried six times and he was tried because you're guilty. He's tried because I'm guilty. He's tried because you and I desperately need the grace of God. So in that sense, this passage is monumentally grace-filled. This is grace being poured out on you and on me. And so I want to ask you today, this morning, would you please personalize this? Don't hate on Pilate. Because honestly, most of you would have done little better were you in his shoes without the knowledge of who the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is. You see, we know him, most of us in this room already. We've given our lives to him and we serve him even now. Pilate was in a place where he desperately needed Jesus. And before you came to faith in Christ, that is exactly where you were as well. As well. And so would you join me? Let's pray. We'll pick up in verse 28 and read down through verse 40 here in John chapter 18 as we move from the garden of grace to the mockery of man. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in spite of all of the horrific things that occurred on those six hours one Friday, all of the mockery, all of the beating, all of the sin that was poured out upon you, Jesus, you, you took that beating for me. You, you allowed that crown of thorns on your head because of me. I judged you. 
I questioned who you were. And Lord, thank you that you have so graciously suffered long and been kind while we were working out our own salvation, while we were seeking you, Lord. You didn't cast us off, but you draw us near. And so bless us as we study your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 28 here in John 18. And again, please remind yourselves it is essential. It's absolutely necessary and important that while we're studying John's gospel, you also look at the companion passages in Matthew, Luke, and Mark. So Matthew 26, 27, Luke 22, 23, and Mark 14 and 15. Because there are additional details in each of those studies that we'll highlight as we go through this time this morning. And then... They led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. Who's the they? Always good to ask yourself the questions. The who, the what, the when, the where, the why, the how, what's going on? They is the Jewish religious leadership. They have almost no power, but the Romans have all the power. And in fact, Roman power was at its height in the region at that time. And in fact, in another 38 years... Uh, The Roman general Flavius Titus is going to come. He will sack Jerusalem and push the temple off the temple mount to the base of the temple walls where the stones of the temple mount still remain to this day. They, the ones who should have known who Messiah was, they who had the entirety of what we call the Old Testament available to them, they who worshipped the prophet Isaiah, who in Isaiah 52 and 53 give some of the pictures, the pieces of what's about to happen to Jesus in detail. They. And the reason that's important is our world has been influenced by Christianity. The witness of Christ is pretty close to everywhere. It is not universally true, but a vast majority of the world has heard the good news of the gospel. A vast majority of the world has the Bible translated into its own language. But people are still rejecting the truth of who Jesus is to this day. They're still putting Jesus on trial in that sense. And so before we condemn Pilate and the Jewish religious leaders, the situation has not changed a whole bunch since then. People are still trying Jesus. Who is he? Who is he to you is the question. They led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. The Praetorium was the the home of the Praetorian Guard, which is the emperor's guard. It was the guard that was assigned to specific geographic regions wherever there was a contingent of the Roman army and there was a representative of Rome, usually in the form of exactly who we're seeing in this passage, Pontius Pilatus in Latin, Pontius Pilate. There would be a group of Praetorian guards. They were the upper echelon. They were the SEAL team of the Roman army. And so here they are in the location where the Praetorian guard is housed in the Antonia Fortress outside of the Damascus Gate of modern-day Jerusalem, of the old city. And it was early morning, and they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat Passover. Can you see exactly how mind-bogglingly inequitable the situation is think about it they want jesus killed 
but they won't even go into a Gentile courtyard to make their case lest they would be religiously defiled. That's what religion can do for you. You can become so blind to the truth that you are simply religious. Be careful. We're going to look at that throughout this message. Make sure you're not in that group that's doing your religious duty instead of engaging in a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're not saved by, relation, you're, by religion. You're saved by relationship. Jesus came that we might have life, but you have to believe on his name and his name alone. And Pilate went out to meet them and said, And you'll see a series of questions here, and we'll highlight these. What accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. It's like, come on. I mean, obviously he's guilty or we wouldn't have brought him here. And this is how the world often treats Jesus. We don't want this man to rule over us. This will be the cry of the crowd. Give us Jesus Barabbas instead. You see, very frequently we join in the chorus of accusations against Jesus. We have to be careful, family, because we can become deaf to the work of the Spirit. We just simply go along with the crowd. And then Pilate said to them, you take him and judge him according to your law. And therefore the Jews said to him, well, now we can't kill him, so we need you to do that for us. And of course, that's a paraphrase. It says, actually, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And it's really admitting that that saying of Jesus might be fulfilled of which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. In other words, The Jewish religious leadership knew that Messiah was supposed to be hung on the tree. The Jewish religious leadership knew that the Messiah would be pierced for their transgressions. The Jewish religious leadership knew that the chastisement for our peace would be placed upon him. They knew these things. They said, we can't kill him. We need you to do this for us. It's almost mind-boggling when you think that they're actually helping fulfill everything that needed to happen in Jesus' life for him to be proclaimed Messiah. That's how blind you can become to the truth. You can witness it. You can see it. You can hear it. You can come to church week after week, month after month, year after year, and you can be deaf to the truth. And if you're here today and that's you, I want you to begin to ask yourself some of these questions. You see, there were three stages to this trial. There are actually three stages to virtually every trial, even today, and very specifically with the Jews and very specifically with the Romans. If you were put on trial in either place, either with the Jews or with the Romans, there had to be formal charges brought against you. There had to be an accusation which was brought, which is legitimate, You had to be offered the opportunity to defend yourself and then charges could be brought against you. All three of those things will happen and yet none of them 
will actually do anything than shout, Jesus is innocent. And it's going to happen not once, not twice, but six times. And each trial that Jesus undertakes is just another way for us to say, Jesus was the sinless Lamb of God. Not, well, you know, he was really an instigator. I mean, he deserves to die right now. I mean, all these heinous things that he's done, like making blind people see and lame people walk and starving people fed and sick people well. I mean, shame on him. You see, because if you think back what Jesus actually did, how could anyone bring any accusation against him? And the truth is, they couldn't. But they did. Why? Because you're guilty. And an innocent lamb had to die in your place. This is Passover. It's the whole story of Passover. An innocent animal was slaughtered. Its blood was poured out. It was put on the doorpost of the home and the windowsills of the home. An innocent animal died in the place of the guilty, which were the people inside of the home, so that the angel of death would pass over. We have passed over from death to life. And they're missing all of it. Every bit of the symbolism that they should have known. The Romans were in power. The Jews knew it. So they concoct this scheme and have these trials. For the better part of 2,000 years, one of the arguments against the Bible was that there was no historical proof for the existence of Pontius Pilatus, Pontius Pilate. Until they were excavating in Caesarea Maritima on the coast of the center of the country of Israel, and they're digging in the theater, which, by the way, we hold a Bible study in when we're there, and inside of that theater, they unearthed this stone in 1961. This stone actually says this theater is hereby dedicated to Tiberius Caesar in the reign of the governor Pontius Pilatus. Proof that Pontius Pilate is Pontius Pilate. Every time a spade is turned over in Israel, another argument goes down the drain. You see, Jesus was standing before the governor of Judea. Exactly as the scriptures declare, exactly as the gospels clearly indicate. And so here he is standing before the governor. One of the amazing things about a trip to Israel is you're you're able to touch the very things that are in your Bible. You're able to walk where Jesus walked stand where he stood, see the same exact scenes that he saw. Pilate begins this whole affair with a series of questions. And it's interesting to me that these are the proper questions if you're going to actually try somebody. Because there has to be an accusation. So he begins with, what is the accusation? What has this man done that's wrong? Because 
none of you would expect to walk into a court if you were summoned to a court of law and walk in and, well, you know, we just don't like you. We really kind of think that you should just die and that you would actually be held in a court of law and then a trial ensue in which you were actually found guilty while at the same time the official charges, which if you read the rest of the Gospels, this is all there is, he led the nation astray. Let me be really clear here. Jesus not one time ever in his entire ministry said a single thing that was political against Rome. Never. He was not a politician. He didn't walk around, you know, with his sign, down with Rome. Caesar is a bum. Revolt. Stand up, stand up against the imperialism of Rome. He didn't do any of those things. He went about the region of Galilee being kind and gentle and meek and humble. The second charge was that he was opposed to paying tribute or taxes to Caesar. I hate to tell you this, but Matthew's gospel records not only was he not opposed to it, he himself did it. Opens up a fish's mouth. Funny, these coins are right here. Here, there's one for you, one for me, pay our taxes. Why? Because the Holy Spirit authored Romans chapter 13, which says there is no government but that which is appointed by God. They've been appointed for your good, that they do not bear the sword in vain, and they are the avengers of you. So even the evil Roman Empire, God allowed to exist for a purpose and a plan. So Jesus paid taxes like everybody else. The third one, that he claimed to be the Jewish Messiah and King. We're going to see part of that in our our chapter today. Jesus made no such claim. Everyone else made the claim, and he said to them, it is as you say. When he came into Jerusalem, which we've already seen, as he goes into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, that day of the triumphal entry, as he goes in, they're already shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is the only time that he even received any type of worship, and it was because it was already happening. So the verdict on all the charges is very easy to see. Jesus is completely innocent. They are unsupportable in a court of law. So why does this trial continue? Because there's some questions here that are asked that are important. Are you the king of the Jews? I think personally, Pilate probably felt fairly safe in asking that question. You know, after all, they brought Jesus here. There's got to be some reason for it. There must be some kind of rebellion. But I don't think he was waiting for that answer. It is as you say. They don't know it. They don't recognize it. My own people will not receive me. It's the reason that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He's weeping over Jerusalem. What does he say? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
I would that I would draw you unto myself, but you will not come. Can I tell you, Jesus is coming again, and he absolutely is the king, king of this earth and heaven too. Amen? So make no mistake, that's a truth. Pilate spoke it, not Jesus. And when he comes back, he is coming back as the conquering king. He is coming back with an army of the host of heaven, by the way. But this time, the innocent Lamb of God came to give his life for you. So basically, Jesus asked him the question, well, you know, kind of who's asking? Let's check out what he's saying here. Are you really the king of the Jews? Verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you concerning me? Would you hover over that verse for a second? That's the question. You see, because every person in this room has to answer that exact question. Is he your king? And do you believe that because you believe that or did your mama tell you? Did your uncle who used to be a pastor three decades ago who was involved in church his whole life tell you that he believed Jesus was the son of God? You see, because nobody gets saved through their heritage. Nobody comes to faith by knowing somebody who knows somebody who's a Christian. Are you asking that question because it's on your heart? Or are you asking that question because somebody else told you you should? You see, there's a huge difference between you wanting the answer to that question and someone else telling you that you should get the answer to that question. So Jesus said, somebody else tell you about me or are you actually asking for yourself? Mr. Pilate. And Pilate answered, and I want you to see how we know that Pilate was not impressed and did not come to faith in Christ. There are those that believe that Pilate may have come. I don't know later, but I can tell you right now, he ain't having any of it. Am I a Jew? That is a derogatory statement. He's basically saying, I'm a Roman. Don't insult me like that. Am I a Jew? Your own nation, chief priests, have delivered you to me. What have you done? Look, you've got a problem, not me. I'm good. Can I tell you that's how people often speak to me about the gospel? I'm good. My aunt's, uncle's, cousin's, former friend was once saved. I've known about it my whole life. Matter of fact, I have a signed autographed picture of Jesus on my living room wall. (laughs) You see, we still do these things, don't we? You know why I introed this this way, don't you? You see, we're tempted to do the same thing still to this day. 
Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Is he your Savior? Or did somebody else tell you about him? Now, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And someone needs to speak forth that good news of the gospel. But it's up to you to believe it and receive it. Pilate saying, look, I'm not a Jew. I don't need your God. I don't need your forgiveness. I don't need any of that stuff. And Jesus answered, this is the answer to what have you done? My kingdom is not of this world. Amen. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. In other words, I ain't from around these parts. I came from heaven. I am the child who was born. I am the son who was given. I am the rightful deed holder to this earth. And my kingdom's not from here, but make no mistake, Pilate, one day I'm coming back. And when I come back, I am actually bringing my army with me. But right now, because of God's amazing grace, he said, I'm going to withhold judgment on this earth in its totality, and they're staying in heaven, but they're not staying there forever. You see, sometimes we forget how much grace is shown in the midst of this tragedy. Because this is the restraint of God's wrath at this very moment. Because make no mistake, Jesus could have called down a legion of angels. You know, I throw myself into the situation if I'm Jesus. Going, let me tell you about my kingdom. (laughs) And the dust of Pilate just settles to the ground. And oh, by the way, you might want to check on your boys outside because they've all been turned into pigs. Jesus could have done any of those things. He could have said, you know what? I'm going to give you a little object lesson right now. You might want to check on Rome because it just crumbled underneath an earthquake. But he didn't. You talk about the love of God being poured out in a moment where the king of kings is being falsely accused. Can you imagine the restraint of Father God in heaven while his son is having this stuff done to him and these things said to him and God's going, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You see, Rome's weapon was the sword, but Jesus' weapon was the spirit. Amen? Amen? Pilate therefore said to them, said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered. Again, he doesn't say these things of himself. He made no defense of himself. He simply answers Pilate's question in the the affirmative. You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I have come into the world. You realize what he's saying there? That this world's not my home. I came to this world. But I was from another one before I was ever here. The very truth of Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. Both things are true. Yet I should bear witness to the truth. 
that everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And here comes the, the question. The question maybe for some of you in the room today. Had Pilate answered and said, what is truth? What is truth? You see the Greeks before them, the Persians, the Medes, the Carthaginians, the Chaldeans, the Zoroastrians, were all debating that question. When you read the works of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, the whole focus is what is truth. Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Here's the truth. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's truth. You see, other things that might be competing truths are not so important in light of eternity. Jesus has said, my kingdom is not of here. I am a king. I'm the king of a kingdom that, Pilate, you are not a part of. And so when Pilate opens the door to that question, what is truth, Jesus is saying, in effect, you know, you might want to ask some of the people right here, because I said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. He was answering his question so that Pilate would have to make a personal decision to receive it and believe it and have grace or reject it and have God's wrath. It's always been the question. What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Now check that out. Not, well, he's kind of, you know, a little jacked up in his theology. He's kind of, you know, I mean, we, we probably should do something. You know, Pilate's basically saying the man is completely 100% innocent. There's no fault. The Greek word that's used there means that there's not even any character flaws in him. He's been patient. He's been kind. He's been respectful. And he's spoken the truth. And yet... That's not good enough. And yet, in, the, in, in spite of that information, as the questions would have flowed amongst the crowd, what kind of king is he? What kind of kingdom does he have? What, what, is he spiritual? Is he political? What, what kind of king is this guy? Basically, it was Pilate that was on trial. It was the Jewish religious leaders that were on trial. It was really not Jesus that was on trial because Jesus is saying, my kingdom's not from here. And yes, I am the king of my kingdom. And they're all going, well, we don't like that answer. We're not okay with that. I mean, we kind of like Mars, the god of war. We love Romulus. The Greeks were thinking, well, we got Zeus and Poseidon. I mean, and Aphrodite, you know, she's hot. I mean, what do you got? You got this guy? This is it? 
This is your king. Put yourself in the crowd. You want the might of Rome? You want the Pax Romana? You want to be able to pull out your I'm a Roman card? I'm a Roman, you're not. We rule the world, you don't. Sound like any other people group that you know of? You see, we can get caught up in the same thing. Why do you think they said, we don't want this king, we don't want this kingdom, we don't want this man to rule over us? Because he doesn't have an army with him. He doesn't have his own coinage. I mean, he's a shepherd's son from Bethlehem. Start thinking for yourself right now some of those questions that may have been floating around in the crowd. And so to make the point clear, Scripture takes us to this place. Okay, who would you like me to release? Because here it comes, verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover You Jews didn't come into the courtyard of the praetorium because you're worried more about Passover than the death of an innocent man. You're worried about ritual purity over a festival that you don't even understand the meaning to rather than the death of someone who's completely innocent that you falsely accused. Customary. You see, the Romans were very shrewd in their ruling. They very often took up practices and principles that allowed those that they governed to keep many of their cultural norms. It kept them quiet, kept them placated. So you know that this time of year, it's Passover. We always release one of the very worst of your guys. And so Pilate, believing no one would choose Barabbas, a known murderer and insurrectionist, no one would choose Barabbas over Jesus. They underestimate the wickedness of the heart of man. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they all cried out again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. And now John says he was a robber, but we learn from the other gospel accounts he was a little more than that. He was also a murderer. And he actually was an insurrectionist. The very charges against Jesus, Barabbas, by the way, whose name is Jesus Barabbas. There were two Jesuses. We don't want that Jesus. Give us Jesus number one. And I want to ask you as we close. Who would you choose? Who would you choose? Who have you chosen? Who's your king? What is truth? You see, when you look at this passage, it's really easy to say, well, that was then and this is now. And I would never do that, really. People die every single day and perish eternally because they refuse to acknowledge Jesus as king. 
because they, they don't want the one way. They don't want the one truth. They don't want the one life. They want things their own way. They want their own ruler of their own little kingdom because their little kingdom seems to have power in their life at the moment. The crowd cries out as Mark records, not just give us Barabbas, but crucify Jesus. You see, basically, not receiving him as Lord and Savior is saying, crucify him, I don't care. What is he to me? What is truth? I'm going to ask you to stand right now, if you would, please. You see, as Jesus is scourged, as the Gospels record that they smote him and they beat a crown of thorns on his head, I want you to think about something for a second. What was one of the results of the curse? That because of the curse of sin, thorns and thistles began to grow on the earth. And so you see, they had a pretty good understanding of a little bit of the truth. And so they quickly twisted together a crown of thorns from what we would call an ironwood or an acacia tree, which, by the way, can grow to two inches long and they're hard enough that if you snap them off, you can take a hammer and drive them into wood. You see, they they pressed that crown of thorns on Jesus' head. It was a symbol, you're cursed. You're cursed, dude. You picked the wrong team. And all all the while, Jesus is saying to us, no, I chose the right team. And I'm gonna willingly take that curse and I'm gonna wear it on my head as a crown so that anyone who will believe in me will be saved. And I'm asking you the question today. If you're here today and you've never chosen Jesus, if you've never answered that question, Jesus is my king, that still remains the question for you right now. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your heads and close your eyes, please. And if you're here today and you know the Lord, you've already received his grace, would you just cry out before the throne of grace right now for anyone in this room who's been playing that worldly game of I don't want King Jesus. But if you're here today and you're saying right now, Pastor Jeff, I I want Jesus. I've tried serving that other king in the other kingdom and it hasn't worked out too well. And you want him today. I'm gonna just ask you to do something very simple. Would you just simply put your hand up right where you're standing right now. We're gonna pray together and you're gonna invite Christ into your life. I see that hand and that hand and that hand in the back. This other hand in the back. Praise the Lord. This hand here in the center. Praise God for the work of his Holy Spirit. Anyone else, just slip your hand up, hold it up so I can see it, please. We're going to pray together in just a moment. The most important decision you will ever make, it's the one decision that secures your eternity. You see this hand to my left, this other hand in the back to my left, this hand in the center. Praise the Lord. 
See that hand to the side. God, you are so good right now. Draw men unto yourself, Lord. Please save them. Save them, Lord. I see that hand as well. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for the simple message of your grace. For those that have raised your hands and anyone else who's in here, maybe it was just something you felt like you couldn't do right now. I'm going to ask you to pray along with us. For those who raised your hand, you can put them down. And would you pray, just follow me with these words, but they have to come from you. I, I can't pray this for you. You have to choose your king. So would you just join me and pray these words out loud? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you are my king. I'm choosing you right now. I thank you that you will forgive my sin and cleanse me from it. Lord, I'm sorry that I've been walking away from you. And I repent and I want to turn back towards you. I realize I've been deceived. And I'm asking you to protect my mind. And help me to walk with you all of my days. I thank you for your grace, which has given me forgiveness right now from all of my sin. Thank you for wearing that crown of thorns on my behalf, taking that beating for me, and giving your life so that I can be freed from the debt of sin that I owe. Lord, thank you for saving me. And I'm asking you now to keep me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to walk with you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen.